So this is Chris Evans, and I'm here with Simon Taylor, CEO of Haiku. Chris, Simon. it's great to be here. How great to see you again. My gosh, it's yes, been a long time. It has been a long time. God, I think the last time, I can't, I, can't even, I can't even begin to think when it was, but it's been a long time. It certainly has. But it's wonderful to be able to catch up with you. And we're at reInvent in lovely, do they call it lo- fabulous Las Vegas? Fabulous Las Fab- Vegas, yeah, yes. Fabulous. No one's ever called Vegas lovely. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I'd call it fabulous either, to be honest. But, you know, we're here. Um, it's been an interesting week, actually, this, mm. this event. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about data. A lot of um, new data services, very big fo- focus on data. Not surprisingly, because mm. you know the infrastructure stuff. While I wouldn't say it's done, you know it's becoming less relevant because we've got we've got very good coverage on that. But people's value in their businesses is data. Mm. We've seen an awful lot of that. What have you know? What have you seen around as you've if you as you've gone around the conference? Yeah, you know it's really interesting. I think if you think about you know all of the different vendors that exist here um, and, and are exhibiting here at AWS reInvent, you know, it's almost like I can imagine a bell curve of cloud adoption in my mind. Right. And, you know, if, if I go back, you know, four years ago, four or five years ago, you were seeing primarily just dev and test, you know, test and dev. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we were as an industry. I think today you're seeing so much more data security. You're seeing so much more data protection. You're seeing, I think, a much more enterprise worldview around cloud adoption and cloud usage. Um, and I think that sort of maturity arc um, is really noticeable, you know, just walking around the floor and seeing all these vendors and who's chosen to exhibit this year. Yeah. Ransomware is, you know, probably front and center of so many people's minds mm. um, and it's, it's such a big problem. But clearly, you know, lots of people are talking about data security. There's a lot of companies that used to be data protection companies that are now calling themselves data security companies, whether that's because that's something unrelated, you know, maybe that's around you know, how they position themselves financially or not. Ultimately, the security angle is becoming super important to people. Yeah, well, look, I, I mean, it's always fun to, to, to sort of jab the competition and things like that to some extent, but I do think there's a real reality to it. You know, if you look at ransomware attacks, just a year ago, we were saying it's one every 11 seconds. It's now one every six seconds. Wow. And I think that, you know, there's been this explosion in the last really five to ten years on, you know, the prevention and detection guys. You know, we always break down, you know, cybersecurity into, you know, PDR, prevention, detection, recovery. Yeah. And I think, you know, the P and the D got all the attention for years and years. Um, I think that all changed in COVID. I think people started to really see that ransomware was putting their businesses at risk. It was putting lives at risk. It was putting mission critical infrastructure yeah. at risk. And so I do think that there is there's a natural tendency for people to be afraid now of what their data can be used to do against them. And I think that people are starting to realize that the ability to recover that data um, is one of the most important and impactful things they can do to really fight back against the bad guys. Yeah, speed of recovery. You know, we we always talk about disaster recovery and the speed of recovery in a disaster, and I don't see the ransomware issue being any different. You know, your ability to recover and to be able to look at it and say, not only have I recovered, but I know what I'm recovering is clean and is not going to put me back literally where I was two minutes ago before the, the attack yeah. happened. Yeah, uh, we know. we call it from months to minutes. Yeah, um, and you know, I think I think the real the sort of dark stain that ransomware attacks have left in our society. Um, goes well beyond just what you hear about in the news, which is usually the dollars, right? You know, what I always think about is, you know, for every company that has a thousand people and is down for 16 days, how many people lose their jobs, yeah. right? 
you know, how many people are actually put at risk because hospital records are mismanaged. You know, I was giving a, a presentation at the Boston College Cybersecurity Council led by Kevin Powers and uh, FBI Director Ray spoke right before me. And, um, you know, he talked a lot about the Boston Children's Hospital attack and how had they not happened to have had a relationship with the FBI, all of the children's medical records for surgery were targeted by the Iranian government. Wow. And so, so I always think about that because, you know, you can wake up and you go to your job and you can sell data protection, or you can think about with great purpose, you know, what it is we're really trying to do, and that's keep people safe. Yeah, and, and ultimately data has become critical. And you, you, we sort of, we've sort of evolved, and data it, it, has been critical for a while, but it's now at the point where we, can't, we almost can't do anything without there being some sort of data that is on a system somewhere that yep. needs to, to run, whether it's, as you said, anything, anything related to surgery, whether it's your own financial information, whether it's traveling, whether it's you know, there's a, just everything you can possibly think of. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a real uh, issue there that we have to well, look after. And, and, I, and I think, you know, you were asking me before about uh, data protection companies marketing themselves as cyber protection, yeah. ransomware protection, et cetera. You know, to some degree, I'm happy about that. Because I think the prior to this ransomware scourge, I call it, you know, what was happening is we were, we were bragging about data. Look at the explosion of data. Look at the gold. Yeah. The rivers are running, you know, yellow with the gold of our data. And the reality is that, that that's not gold. You know, what it is, is it's ammunition yeah. that can be weaponized for you or against you. And I think that if we don't treat it with the same level of sensitivity, we would treat any ammunition. Uh, we put ourselves in a very dangerous spot indeed. Yeah. What about developers then? Because then, you know, everybody talks about developers and DevOps and how they're having to, um, that, 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 how the world's changing really and they're becoming the, the, the focus and they're, that, they're the new rock stars compared to what, you know, other people would have been in IT years ago. But there's a real onus for the, the DevOps teams to really think about data protection and the data they're looking after as part of their development process. You know, that's got to be now part of the cycle. Look, I, I think there's no question that the developer has you know, certainly become the top of the food chain in many respects. Yeah. Um, I would also state, though, that going back to that sort of bell curve of cloud adoption, I think we saw this in prior generations. You know, I think the developer in a test and dev environment always reigns supreme. I think that ultimately the role of IT has got to adapt to that, has got to understand that there are going to be not one, not two, not six, not ten, but literally hundreds of different services running in their data estates, their environments. Yeah. And if they can't get their arms around protecting and managing all of that data, no matter where it sits, I think that's a real problem and someone's going to take care of that. I remember being in some organizations you know, 10, 15 years ago, and we would talk about 10,000 applications in a business. Mm. Now, I can't even imagine how many different applications are in some of the very large enterprises like <laughs> the banks and stuff. You know, we must be running into multiple tens of thousands of different applications out there. Well, you know, we always say there's 16,000 SaaS services in the U.S. alone. Uh, the okay. average mid-market company, mid-market, so I'm talking a company with less than 2,000 employees, according to Okta, now has 175 different data silos, wow. meaning 175 places where their data sits. And these are companies that might have an IT department of three people, five people. You know, so, so it's become purely untenable. You know, Chris, I always think about, you know, uh, uh, dice, you know, a pair of dice. You know, we're yeah. here, here in Las Vegas. You know, people are gambling downstairs. We're not. We're sitting up here talking about tech. Yeah. You know, but, but uh, I would say that, you know, 
if you look at a six-sided dice, that's what a data estate looked like in the 1990s. You had, you know, maybe some physical servers, maybe a mainframe, you know, you had some virtualized environments, some VMs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, today, I want you to try to imagine what a dice would look like with 150 different sides. If you have to protect 150 different sides, put a person, a body, a human resource to actually protect and monitor and scan yep. each one of those sources for a company that's got three IT people, that's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Yeah. And it's leading to chaos. It's leading to holes in our data environments. And it's letting more bad guys in the door. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing about the SaaS angle, hmm. um, just now you've mentioned it, is that if you look at traditional applications, if you ran a, a, you know Oracle databases and things like that, the, the backup process Pretty straightforward. Everybody knows how that works. Sure. You know, all of those sort of applications have got plugins and really sort of easy ways to man manage them. If you start looking at SaaS, you're, you're behind like a, a black box. Yeah. You know, the vendor has got their own implementation sitting behind that. Mm -hmm. So you sort of, you having to rely on whatever they decide to let you do in terms of backup. And trying to work out how, how would you do that for 150 apps? Never mind 16,000. <laughs> it's impossible. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. agree more. I think that is the biggest problem. We call it at Haiku data silo sprawl. Yeah. And I think that it is something that, you know, we're addressing uh, in a lot of unique ways with Haiku Protege. Uh, and I can certainly tell you there'll be a lot more to come on that front in the coming months. Excellent. Well, I'm good to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. So anything else as we wrap up, anything else from the show you thought was interesting? I, I just, I thought the diversity of different applications was bizarre. Some of the things that, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to go down to so many different levels to dig down to understand what some of them are because they, they're becoming so much more complex now. Well, you know, I, I think I, I saw, I break it down into a couple of different categories. I think the cybersecurity and data protection, if we sort of put those together, um, that security category is now massive. I think it's really massive. Yeah. Um, I think the low-code, no-code development, I was actually really impressed by the number of unique approaches to helping engineers to develop better technology faster. Um, and I think that we're going to continue to see that kind of agility increase and improve. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that gets adopted. Um, and then I think, you know, the third piece for me is, you know, realizing that this is a very developer-centric environment. And the more we can do to make developers, you know, feel fulfilled in their jobs, empower them to make meaningful decisions in their day-to-day -day lives yeah. and protect you know, themselves and their coworkers and their customers and partners, I think the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, I've seen um, what I think is just like an enormous explosion of the technology mm. and different features that are, you know, vendors, how many vendors are on the floor? 400, 500, I can't oh, remember yeah. how many there are. And I look at a lot, of, a lot of that and I see that sort of same explosion we've seen many times in IT where suddenly a new technology comes along and the, the ideas for it just mushroom sideways and there's <laughs> millions and millions of things and suddenly they then collapse down where people acquire and things become features and rather than separate products but we seem to have got a real burst of energy in terms of that explosion people like to say cambrian explosion of new yeah new companies and it seems like we're at that stage so i can see that there's got to be some sort of rationalization with some of this at some point and it's got to become a bit more standardized because it's a bit you know diverse, it, too it, diverse. it's it's almost too diverse well is it diverse or is it not diverse enough? I think, you know, I was speaking to a venture capitalist today and he said to me, he said, for every cybersecurity good product, there's 10 companies doing exactly the same thing yeah. with only a very minor modification. Yeah. And so I think, I think, you know, we're at this sort of stage where there's been an enormous amount of capital deployed into cyber companies over the last few years. 
and now we're entering a down market. Yeah. And so what I find really interesting is thinking about, you know, who's going to grow and thrive in that market. They say great companies are built in those markets. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think in terms of you know the diversity of what's available, you know, for example, zero trust. We're seeing an enormous amount of attention paid to that. And you know, I always say to people. Um, you know, I've got a nine-year-old son because you know that, and and uh, he'll always say to me, you know, Daddy, can I have a key and a lock on my bedroom? <laughs> say, no, you're nine. No, why yep. do you need that, right? Yeah. You, you know, and he says, well, what if people come in and steal my stuff when I'm not there? I'm like, trust me, no matter how big that lock is, they can break down the door, yeah. and you're gonna, they're gonna take your stuff. Now, the reality is, for adults in the real world, we do need those locks. We do need multi-factor authentication at every term. We do need to make sure that we've got zero trust policies and practice in place. Absolutely. But ultimately, what we need to do is bake that into our data protection protocols. Um, as you might remember, we introduced uh, R-Score. So if you go to yeah. www.getrscore.org, R, the letter R, score.org, you can actually take a free assessment that we partnered with Mandian and Terasoft and SADA and others um, to really help anybody anywhere understand how they can ensure that their ability to recover data after an attack is going to actually take care of their needs. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Simon, uh, thank you for your time. It's great to catch up in person again, which is, you know, fantastic. Let's not leave it, you know, too long before we do it again. <laughs> we need to get you over to Boston next time. Oh, absolutely. When it's, when it's warmer, though, not necessarily in the winter. Makes sense. Chris, <laughs> Simon, great to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it.